0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Bangos, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China Watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at a Hong Kong judge's order to liquidate struggling property developer Evergrande. And we'll also look at the profit picture for Chinese airlines last year, which was quite mixed. We'll start with Evergrande, which was a global corporate story last week after a Hong Kong judge ordered the company to liquidate. The order was widely expected and came after Evergrande repeatedly failed to reach a debt restructuring deal with its offshore bondholders. We should note that while the judge ordered a liquidation of the company, the case she was hearing really only involved the company's offshore debt and not its equally large Chinese domestic debt. What's more, it's unclear if Beijing will work with the Hong Kong courts to actually execute the order, since Hong Kong and mainland China have separate legal systems. So I but butt up a few issues uh, here today, but uh, you know, uh, what's your take? Is Is this order really executable or is this largely a symbolic move that won't have any real impact on Evergrande? Or or what do you think? I think that um,
1: there's a chance that assets that are outside of China will be fair game uh, here. And I think that actually there have been uh, some precedents in terms of uh, Assets in Hong Kong being seized on behalf of uh, global investors. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're right to draw the distinction. I mean, this uh, this you know there's a big line between um, you know offshore uh, creditors, uh, as is the case here, and onshore creditors. Most of the debt of Evergrande is onshore right. uh, although the amount the offshore amount is obviously quite sizable mm. and we also need to remember that uh, one of the uh, evergrande companies actually filed for uh, chapter uh, bankruptcy protection in the u.s a few months ago so uh, that also is going to play out somehow mm-hmm. so um I, my guess is that assets outside of, of China, outside of mainland, um, will be fair game. Anything that is in mainland is uh, probably a no-no. <laughs> uh, the um, And I think for a number of reasons, which obviously have to do with, uh, on one hand, politics. On the other hand, probably, rightly or wrongly, sovereignty issues. Uh, but we also need to remember that you know a lot of the liabilities that Evergrande and, and some of its peers had, uh if not all of them, are uh, in the form of uh apartments um that have been paid for in full uh not completed and or not delivered to the buyers mm-hmm. um which obviously creates a huge um uh, social problem. Uh, in China, all of those obviously are in China, right? Uh, and uh, you know, it, it's impossible to imagine a scenario where foreigners would be granted the right to seize properties in China mm-hmm. uh, and dispose of them uh, when, on the other side, they have already been paid by you know uh, Chinese citizens who haven't received ownership right. of, of the properties. Right. So then, then I think that there's the uh, the sovereignty issue and so on, and to what extent the Chinese government would want to allow, uh, you know, foreigners in particular to come and uh, and uh, confiscate assets uh, in in China. Right. I don't think that's likely to happen.
0: All right. Well, that sort of leads into my second question, which, um. Evergrande, you know, obviously isn't the only developer that has a huge foreign debt. But like you said, all these companies also have even bigger uh, China debt. And when we look at it, it it does seem like China is pushing these developers to repay their domestic debt first and then sort of leaving these foreign bondholders to to fend for themselves. Um, You know, what in terms of sort of longer term implications, uh, you know, in terms of overseas fundraising by Chinese developers and, and Chinese companies in general, what, what sort of longer term implications do you see if, if China, you know, is going to basically say, tough
1: luck, guys? Yeah, which, which I think is highly likely to be the case. Um, the, uh, you know, I don't think that China has any particular interest in protecting, uh, you know, the wealth of, um, of uh, foreigners. Uh, we've seen that across a number of sectors when regulators in China, uh, you know, especially two and a half years ago, started to crack down on a number of sectors and tens of billions of dollars were lost, not by Chinese investors, but more, very little at least, but mostly by foreign investors. Mm. The, uh, you know, that does not uh, get uh, into the calculus uh, at the level uh, of the Chinese government. For the future, um, you know, it's uh, who knows. I mean, investors uh, want to make money, number one. Two, uh, very often have short-term memory. Right. Otherwise, how would you explain that, you know, people kept every so many years uh, lending money to countries like Argentina, which basically have been bankrupt for, I don't <laughs> know, 50 years or 60 years. Um and, and yet again, when they supposedly clean up their act, come back to the market, offer a higher coupon, then all of a sudden people are buying and investing. So I think that in the short term, this is just going to um reinforce uh the belief uh on the part of a lot of investors globally that China is uninvestable. Mm. Uh that it typically was focused on the stock market, but this obviously brings it over across the line if you want, into the debt market as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: uh this is not good news for uh,
0: anybody in China, I guess, who wants to raise money uh you know for IPOs or in the debt market or yeah you know, I guess probably even bank loans uh, this is probably gonna just make China's economic problems worse i guess
1: they they won't be able to for the stock market I think that's uh, that's a little bit different. I mean you know uh stock investors obviously typically have uh and if they don't they should have a higher appetite uh, for risk hmm. um so I would not really draw a conclusion there. Uh, there are lots of other reasons why global investors don't want to touch any stocks right now, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, but not, not
0: because of. Uh, well, I guess you're right. because you're buying a stock, you're not looking for repayment. You're looking to make some money at uh, the stock price to so. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next topic, which is Chinese airlines. And uh, a lot of Chinese airlines have been reporting their preliminary results for all of last year lately. And we've seen uh, this sort of interesting dichotomy emerge where the nation's three big state-owned airlines are all reporting big losses for the year, uh, while most major private carriers actually return to profitability chief among the losers was Shanghai-based China Eastern, which my my least favorite airline, uh, despite being, well, maybe because I'm based in Shanghai, but uh, <laughs> they were the big loser. They said they're going to report a loss of up to $1.2 billion for all last year. And meantime, Spring Air, Hainan Airlines, and Junyao, which are all private, have all said they expect to report profit. So last year was a very strong year for China's airlines overall, as many people got swept up in a wave of revenge travel after Beijing scrapped all of its COVID restrictions at the end of 2022. And yet the big state carriers are all still reporting losses. It doesn't surprise me, but do you uh, have any idea why they were able to buck this revenge travel? You know, the, the private airlines clearly... Benefited? What's, what's happening with these state guys?
1: Well, I, you know, what's happening with these state guys is that they're state guys. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, this, uh, this reminds me very much of, uh, you know, airlines in Europe who were losing money constantly when they were owned by, you know, the, uh, their respective governments. And uh, in general, started to do better. Not all of them necessarily, but when they were privatized. um, And I think that generally speaking, there is a lot of complacency in, you know, any kind of business that is government owned pretty much in any country in the world. Number one. Number two, uh, as to your favorite airline, China Eastern, (laughs) I can absolutely, uh, uh, I can absolutely guarantee that the reason for their loss is not because they over-invested in the food quality (laughs) on the flight. (laughs) I I can vouch for that uh, one too. (laughs) So that comes from somewhere else. But, you know, there are many ways that that airlines can actually, you know, get in trouble financially, uh, you know, um, including contract hedging or not hedging. Price of uh, fuel uh, and so on when, when you're state-owned companies in China, whether you're an airline or any, or any other business pretty much, you know you also become an instrument of uh, government policy. Right. They were told by the government that they couldn't raise prices, otherwise uh, it would become too expensive for the consumer in China. And mm. as a result of that, they ended up losing billions of dollars. Mm. So you know, it's um, it it could be it could be a number of uh, you know different reasons.
0: What about the international? Well, that's one thing where I think international routes are usually sort of seen as cash cows, and the the Chinese carriers, the mm. big state ones, certainly you know they got all the plum routes. You know, Shanghai the Los Angeles, Shanghai, to San Francisco—all the Beijing, because that's where they're Uh, based—and that's actually been quite slow to come back, uh, much slower than domestic. Do
1: you think that is playing a part at all? Sure, I'm sure it is. Uh, The uh, uh, you know the numbers of foreigners uh, uh, flying to China is uh, tourists or business people number is still way, way down compared to pre-COVID, number one. Number two, in part, as a result of that, as well as other factors, uh, the number of flights between China and other countries, and especially countries like the U.S., only a fraction of what they were pre-COVID as well, Mm -hmm. they're not uh, ramping up very quickly. I think they're, a few reasons for that. First of all, you know, foreign airlines have been watching what happens with the consumer in China ever since basically December of 1992 and what happens to the economy in general. So they've been uh, tempted to be pretty cautious in terms of adding flights. There's also been obviously a clear preference on the part of Chinese consumers to travel domestically as opposed to internationally or globally, at least once again, compared to pre-COVID and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it, I'm sure, is um, you know linked to the state of the economy and, and job security or not, and, and factors like that. And then you have other factors such as, especially between China and the U.S., which used to be, uh, you know, used to have a large number of weekly flights. Uh, There has been a dispute between the two countries in terms of ramping up the number of flights because U.S. airlines cannot fly over Russia, uh, and therefore it makes the flights much longer and more expensive. Uh, compared to Chinese airlines who have no problems flying over uh, over Russia. So you've got political uh, issues, you've got economic issues, and I think general, you know, airlines in the West have generally done very well over the last year, two years. And one thing that uh, has resulted from that is that they have, Kind of become addicted to profits, whereas in the past they were yeah. typically addicted to losses. Right, and uh, and they've been much more cautious uh, as a result of that. I mean, they they they're literally much more focused on being profitable than than they were pre-COVID, right. at least.
0: <laughs> Heaven forbid a company should uh, focus on profits. How about uh, that? Do you think uh, you know, just sort of looking at the year ahead? Do you think the big state airlines are going to find
1: a way back to profits anytime soon? Well, you know, on the face of it, you would think so, right? Uh, Once again, with the caveat that, you know, I do not know, uh, you know, the very fundamental reasons why uh, they had losses last year. But, you know, international travel is looking up. Even on the U.S., uh, China, U.S. uh, route, flights are being added uh you know i think that at some point in time if the economy starts doing a bit better growing number of chinese people will want to go you know travel overseas again right um and uh, not just limit themselves to um, to china mm-hmm. so i don't know if it's 2024 or 2025 assuming nothing really bad happens in the world in terms of conflicts and wars and so on I think that that should be looking out. Okay, I
0: guess uh, we'll have to have to uh, wait and see on that. Anyhow, let's uh, wrap things up from there. Uh, Thanks for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll look at China's growing debt that's crushing local government. And we'll also look at a new IPO that did quite well using a formula combining a made in China drug with minimal China risk. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you all, goodbye.